0: Welcome to the Meaning of Home podcast, where we discuss the complexities and connections between home and homelessness. I'm your host, Sarah Christou, and as always, with me is the podcast's producer, Dave Angel. We are doctoral researchers at Loughborough University, part of the Harnessing Opportunities for Meaningful Environments Centre for Doctoral Training, for short, the Home CDT. We are a cohort of seven PhD projects approaching concepts of home and homelessness through a creative lens to develop impactful new research. Every month we'll bring a new episode with a range of guests to provide commentary and conversation on different themes. In this episode, our theme is co-design, where we'll be discussing the collaboration between researchers and services to improve support for people experiencing homelessness. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Mark Chandler and Sue Hollyoak from The Bridge, East Midlands and Esther hedgy from Loughborough University. Esther is a doctoral researcher at Loughborough University in the School of Design and Creative Arts. Her research explores the emotional aspects of home and homelessness. As a service designer, she has worked with non-profit organisations and healthcare providers to develop user-centered design solutions that improve service delivery. Previously, she worked in Turkey with local educational institutes to support refugees fleeing the war in Syria. Mark is the services manager for the advice and homelessness team at The Bridge. He manages the triage, housing advice and floating support teams across Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland. Mark started his career in banking and then changed career paths into housing and the charity sector. He has been with The Bridge for almost eight years. Recently, Mark has been working on developing the triage hubs and the housing advice county-wide offer for the bridge in collaboration with Loughborough University. Sue is a housing triage worker at the bridge and the first point of contact for clients across Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland. She has spent six years in housing triage using the people skills she transferred from her previous role as an HR officer. Sue and the triage team receive over 6,000 inquiries each year. She believes that effective listening and offering clients time when they are at their most vulnerable is the key to building good client relationships. Welcome, Mark, Sue, and Esther, to the Meaning of Home podcast. Let's jump straight in. The bridge delivers a number of specialist housing related advice services and accommodation option to homeless and vulnerably housed people across the East Midlands. Mark, can you tell us more about the services the bridge provides?
1: Yes, certainly, Sarah. Um, Our main focus is to look at preventing and alleviating homelessness. Uh, And we aim to offer a holistic support service to our clients. This consists of uh, a range of services that will hopefully address the issues that they present to us. Critical to this is the triage service, um, as they are the first port of call for the majority of inquiries we get. um, And they will then determine how how best we can help the client. So triage will um, receive Uh, Inquiries through a number of channels, Uh, it can either be face-to-face, telephone, through the web, or by email, um, and then direct uh, the client appropriately, depending on their needs. Um, So we have uh, a number of services. I cover housing advice, triage, and also floating support. So, housing advice will deal with any inquiries relating to a housing crisis, um, and also offer one-to-one support uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, this can address issues such as uh, possession proceedings, potential eviction, illegal eviction, also antisocial behaviour. So, quite a wide range of issues that we're we're looking at with clients. Floating support is uh, more ongoing. So that will be a period of time that we spend with the client to look at preventing uh, homelessness and sustaining their tenancies. Uh, So we'll be looking at budgeting and uh, also any other issues that they will need support with um, going forward. So it could be applying for household items, Uh, supporting them with charity link applications, food and fuel, um, and also uh, looking at relieving any sort of financial issues that they've got. So it may be that we're signposting to other agencies as well. We have several housing advice elements. So we cover the Charnwood area, but we also cover the county um and our county service has a focus on mental health so sustaining well-being and mental health uh, which is quite important at the moment because as you can appreciate if somebody's experiencing a housing crisis it has a significant impact on their well-being and their mental health
0: thank you mark so there's quite a lot of different services there that you've described and um, that make up kind of the all of the different offerings that you have for different people. So that made me wonder why is it important then for service providers to offer so many different services? Um, why have personalised support for people experiencing homelessness?
2: Yes I mean people experience homelessness in a variety of different ways and, and it does affect everyone I think people have an image of homelessness. They have an image of people on the street, in shop doorways, but it affects families, um, it, it affects people in employment. There's a number of factors that impact people in homelessness. It can be health, it can be job loss, it can affect anyone at any time in their lives. And so it's important to understand how people are affected. It's important to work um, with the individual to understand what is affecting them. Um, it's important to work in partnership with the re- other agencies. It's important for us to understand and, and to talk to the individual, understanding that what is impacting them, impacting their um, life, and to work with and create an effective solution. So we offer a service that offers them time, we understand their situation. So we're very much, and part of our value is to understand the individual, make it very person-centred. So we offer a very person-centred service.
0: Esther, you know, we're talking about co-design today. So all these different services come together, they require a service design that's like provided as a, a framework then, as we're looking at these existing support systems and trying to envision more holistic, human-centered solutions. So in this context, what do we mean by co-design? I
3: think first, let us just look at a bit about what how does it look like if you are designing something, because that's already quite uh, centered around people as, as a process. So designing something is a very iterative process when the designers would identify and understand the problems uh, that they are trying to solve. And then they go and would talk to people who they want to design for. And then they uh, show them the outcome, kind of the solution that they Uh, thought about and get feedback and then iteratively go about this loop until they have a solution that they're happy to implement. Co-design differs from this process that we form a team together uh, where we involve people who we are designing from right at the beginning when we are defining the problems and then we go about it together. So... What we did here, or what, what our collaboration with the bridge looks like, is that we invited the bridge team members early on in the process to define any problems or you know any challenges, and then design with them from very early on, so we could understand their reality better. And it's not us sitting in a room trying to theorize about what they need help with. And then we were working together throughout the process. So it was a lot of calls, checking ins, iterations that happened uh, collaboratively together in the co-design process. Thank you, Esther. And actually it'd probably be good to
0: hear then the other side, that being kind of the research approach side of where co-design starts from, but of course, Here we have a practical example of the work that you're doing with the bridge. Uh, Mark, what's been your experience so far of this um, co-design process with Esther?
1: Sarah, it's been really good, actually, because it's focused our attention on um, areas that we we needed to evaluate. We'd started this project initially, introducing hubs throughout the county to provide face-to-face advice service. But we wanted to know whether we were actually meeting client need uh, and whether they were worthwhile. Um, So we'd arranged, we got the funding from National Lottery and we'd opened up several hubs. During the pandemic, we'd reverted largely to telephone support for clients, obviously, because we needed to. Um, And this continued once things had opened up again but we appreciated that a lot of our clients uh, actually needed to see people face-to-face. They found it more personal service. They could discuss things in more detail. As Sue said, it was tailored to their needs. So going through this project with um, Esther and Holly, we were able to uh, focus on what was important to the client, the information that we needed to collate, how to collate it, and then Esther did a great job of actually pulling it all together and giving us some outcomes. (laughs) So it worked really well. Yeah, very good. And we've managed to implement some of the outcomes already. We appreciated, I think, one that struck me particularly was that over 27% of our clients wouldn't have been able to access services at the bridge unless we'd reintroduced a face-to-face service. So experience—you know our client base does experience issues with IT, with technology, access to technology. So being able to walk in to a hub and talk to somebody was um, critical. And Esther's research actually then demonstrated that that was the case.
0: Oh, well, that's great to hear, and I can see uh, Sue nodding along uh, as well. I think Sue will come to you a bit later because we'll we'll be discussing uh, the triage evaluation in a bit more detail. I just want to come back to Esther first to ask uh, a bit more pull out a bit more in terms of your main research interests because you're exploring the emotional aspects of home and the feeling of being at home, primarily aiming to address the challenges faced by individuals experiencing homelessness or living in precarious housing situations. And you're considering how services can create a sense of belonging, safety and dignity Could you tell us a bit more about your research and the approach of service design?
3: So uh, I am really eager to discover more about this unique experience of home and what are the similarities people share when it comes to define the feeling of home. I'm not the only one who looks at this. There are concepts which give us possible answers uh, from a psychological perspective. However, these answers are often quite theoretical and what I hope is that if I look at it as a, as a service designer and I'm looking at it from a different perspective, uh, which in my case means that I'm looking at how services such as the bridge is tackling uh, the aspect of a feeling of home through this person support. Like, is there something that these services can provide to make people feel more at home in the accommodations that they are provided to them or that they are currently living in. And I'm building on these decades of psychological research, but taking it maybe more on the uh, applicable side of things and, and working with service providers, kind of bringing them that psychological knowledge to be able to then build that in into the services. Maybe a bit of background on service design. It's quite literally what it says, we are looking at services, we look at the problems that users face uh, when they are accessing those services. In our case, uh, people experiencing some form of homelessness or people who are vulnerably housed. And we are trying to make those services fit better for these needs and we are bringing that, or I'm bringing that psychological uh, perspective into homeless services that are currently offered for people.
0: That's really interesting, Esther. And I think it speaks to something Sue mentioned before, where we're thinking about, you know, the need to personalise services is beyond just providing accommodation. It's a good starting point, but you need that holistic approach. And on that, Sue, I was wondering how then can homelessness services such as The Bridge consider emotional well-being in service delivery?
2: I think what was very interesting from the project that we carried out and certainly the questions that we asked, um, it's very easy to assume what our clients um, wanted from or certainly in accessing our services. But to actually ask the questions from our clients, it really threw up some interesting answers. Over the past year, we've moved into and, and co located with other organisations. And by doing so and, and asking those questions, it threw out some interesting feedback in that clients said, well, actually, by coming into a building that is multi purpose, um, and certainly with the stigma associated with homelessness, I'm coming into a building and nobody knows why I'm coming in. And so they were accessing, say, a cafe, but at the same time accessing homeless services. And so they felt more comfortable coming in to access our service. And equally, they were perhaps not intentionally coming in to access our homeless service, but maybe were signposted by another organisation using that building. And so we found benefits. But just by asking those questions when they had arrived, with us and that part of the project so that was a great thing um, for us to actually find out and had we not undertaken this project we wouldn't have found that information so it was uh, an important consideration and actually uh, what we found was that clients were delighted to have been actually asked this information so it was it was great feedback to receive and it is about providing a comfortable environment for people to actually receive those services so I think it was An important exercise for us, particularly as the bridge, to undertake and actually get that information, which we wouldn't ordinarily have found. Yes, Esther, you wanted to uh, add on that point? Yeah, uh, I
3: really wanted to add on the emotional well-being and how the bridge kind of approaches uh, the emotional well-being of their clients, because slightly from the outside, I have seen that they do it in multiple level across all teams that I've had the pleasure of working with. So, you know, emotional well-being is such a complex thing, and the bridge really takes care of their clients just by, you know, sometimes offering them a hot drink when they pass by and, you know, having a chat with someone who might face loneliness because of their very isolating situation. Then I have heard uh, stories from the from the housing advice team when I was working with them, when they not only help them secure the next accommodation where they can move in and live securely, but also looking for communities that they feel comfortable interacting with them and uh, interacting with. And then, you know, it's again, kind of this well-being and, and looking out for people's when they are in a crisis and when they are really need that extra support. And I just found it really moving to say that the bridge really looks at these people, first of all, as people and not as homeless uh, individual or people who are facing homelessness. And yeah, it just really shined through all levels. May that be the triage team, the housing advice, the floating support, or even head of services. I think that's what Anna's title is. So it was really nice to see that everyone sees these clients as people first and foremost.
0: We've mentioned before, and Mark referenced it earlier, that you recently collaborated on an evaluation of the Bridges triage service to evidence the benefit of the in-person appointments compared to the -the over-the-phone ones. Sue, can you explain a bit more about what triage involves, uh, who is engaging with that service and why it's important to the Bridges' work.
2: Yes, certainly. I mean, Mark touched on the fact that there are many clients who would not otherwise be able to access our service. There are clients who simply don't have a phone. Um, Although we do have a free phone number, there are many clients who simply don't like to use the telephone, they don't like to use technology to access us. And so to be able to actually walk in and ha- and see somebody face to face on a daily basis, Monday to Friday, we don't work on the weekends, to be able to do that and to be accessible and to, ha- to form a relationship with a client and they prefer to form a relationship with us, they do that over time. And just to be accessible to them and where and in their community is very important to them, and to be able to return to us when they need to, to be able to form that relationship with somebody and to be able to spend time with them is really, really important. And equally, what we have found, and certainly through this project, is that, uh, which we didn't particularly know before, is that clients who have faced difficulties over the telephone, for example, if there are language difficulties, it's reduced those barriers. If people have struggled with mental health, um, it's broken down those barriers. People have been able to come in with their family, where that's difficult if you're on the telephone. I mean, I accept that you can put yourself on speaker, but to have the support of st- somebody standing by your side is really, really important. And so to offer that face-to-face environment, has been really really important for clients and we've found that through this project and by asking those questions why have chosen to come to see us as a face-to-face appointment today and we've asked those questions and we've received that feedback we've learnt some very important information about what we're offering and we're replicating that across the county so that's been a very important learning exercise for us as part of this project
0: thank you sue and I think pulling out that last point that you're making there about uh, replication, Mm. of course, that's an important aspect uh, of service design. If we learn what works in one model, let's see if there's something that can be replicated as a benefit to other areas. And Mark, if I could pull you in on this point, as I I saw you nodding along there, Uh, as Sue was talking about the, you know, reducing those barriers to accessing services as being really valuable. Could you talk about some of the other key insights that emerged from the evaluation of your triage service?
1: Yes, certainly, Sarah. I think the uh, one of the key things that hit me again was the uh, how people find out about our services. So. A lot of clients potentially, as we've already discussed, have limited access to the internet um, and don't have the, the technology to, to look at our website, look at our uh, social media pages. So Esther made a very good point in the evaluation that we need to consider how people find out about our services. Um, and I think it potentially it could be more valuable if we were Potentially promoting services through other agencies, so GP practices, libraries, social, you know, social um, environments where th- these will be reviewed and uh, noticed. I think um, I'm not sure that online is going to be the best way for people to to find out about us.
0: And so, then one of those findings is that. You need to. There's a potential area to improve on outreach itself. So you're you're doing that research, that work uh, with Esther as well in terms of when people are coming to you, why people are coming to you, how they're accessing. But there could yeah. perhaps be a further question as to how do you then go yes. out so that you're breaking yeah. down that barrier of because we try we're try now to shift that language away from hard to reach and consider how you are hard to access not necessarily that the bridge is but that's a way for services to sort of think about well someone isn't hard to reach if they don't actually know your service is there for them right
1: yeah definitely and I think we find somewhere as well that a lot of people find out about us through word of mouth so it's uh it's kind of communication because people know of us already and they pass that on it's a slight domino effect so i think that is a key a key element of of how we get our sort of services known you know within the community as i say other aspects of it in terms of uh, internet and uh, social media potentially not so successful so yeah and esther um
0: Sort of looking then at the other side of it, what did you see as emerging as some of those insights and perhaps um, objectives
3: of where the where this could go next as well? Definitely one of the most exciting insights for me was that in this project, we were looking at the triage workers' perspective and thinking of the fact that How important shared reality is. Uh, So what we learned from Sue and her colleagues are the importance of connection, which in-person appointments fosters, that workers connect with people who might be uh, from a different social and economical background and still share a really meaningful connection. That idea of community that the triage workers and the clients uses uh, use the same spaces, and that kind of forms a Bond, you know, like uh, I, I I, thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, like uh, when Sue and her colleagues were talking about that, you know, this is a library that I used to go and now I'm provide services for people who are accessing it. And then also this really meaningful motivation for uh, from the, the triage team to be really passionate about the places that they live and and helping the people there. So I think those were the key insights for me when when I was talking to the triage workers on how we just pro, uh, how this project processed. It was these were the key insights that really strike me as we kind of um, develop this project um, together. I think that those insights are uh, very interesting to be taken forward and also maybe tested in different environments. If this is the case, uh, not only in this one specific. Uh, situation with the bridge in the East Midlands but would it be applicable to other places such as for example London like would that be the same are the benefits the same or would it change Uh, would triage workers and as well as client feel differently about these and also generally just see if the clients have the same kind of experience and this is when a second stage of co design would come into place where we would then invite the service users the clients then see and validate or you know like take this project forward thank you Esther and I think
0: what particularly struck me there was this idea of connection so community building work as well which speaks to the research that you're doing on emotional well-being and actually not to sort of see that individualization of the problems but to see how that fits in in terms of How we build community again, how we get that sense of belonging in terms of there being more than, again, the loss of a physical place, the loss of shelter. There's a loss of a lot more that goes with that emotional connection to home and what's needed then in terms of that connection to community as well. And Sue, I was thinking also on a point that you were making earlier about that holistic approach. What do you see then as the benefits of co-design between academic research and service delivery? What have been your experiences in this process?
2: I think it has been a great experience. I mean, obviously, Esther and Holly have brought their research expertise um, to it and... Obviously, we've brought the business side of and our community knowledge and our um, knowledge of the bridge business to the project. And those things have knitted together very nicely. Um, Esther and Holly very much directed us and kept us on track and directed the project and very quickly understood when we as a team kind of put our ideas out there and, and very quickly understood our business and and helped us, uh, you know, help direct the project and extrapolated our business priorities um, and priorities for this project um, very quickly and uh, in terms of bringing forward the metrics that we needed to, to drive it forward. And then checked in with us regularly just to make sure it was on track, um, which we appreciated and we made tweaks to the project And I think together we formed a team and it worked really, really well. So the the project, I think, you know, and in terms of the outcomes, because we set it up and it was set up very well from the beginning, certainly um, achieved some very good outcomes. So I think it worked extremely well. Thank you. And and actually,
0: Mark, I want to ask you the same question. Um, what do you see as the benefits of co-design between academic research and service delivery?
1: Um, I think to reiterate what Sue said, it's the ability to um, have a another perspective on what we're doing. So we often will roll with a project, but we need the evaluation and we need that direction in terms of collating information that is going to be valuable uh, going forward. So Esther's been very good at sort of indicating where we can use the current information to look at further funding going forward. Um, so I think that's been a, a critical thing for us. Um, and the project has really identified that um, the services we're delivering, we do need to review how we how we deliver them. (laughs) Um, So face to face contact is obviously critical to our clients uh, and has been a a major factor in this evaluation study. Uh, So I I think that's where we found that really, really useful.
0: Thank you, Mark. And uh, it's good to hear that too. And and Esther, perhaps final thoughts then on the importance of co-design and how that was embedded in this work.
3: I think it's generally sort of the conversation that is going on. Uh, it, as an academic, I felt throughout the two years that sometimes it goes to very too hypothetical fields. Uh, and uh, when we in a meeting room trying to get into the service providers and the users' had, and then co-design has this very close collaboration because we are one team, so it allows. Me, for me as a researcher, is to bound those ideas, to develop ideas with uh, the service providers, not separately in a room and then coming and uh, and checking if it makes sense. So I asked a lot of questions, we we brainstormed together and and I believe that the research outcomes have a much higher quality because of that collaboration. And it has a tangible impact on on people's life in the area. Uh, and I think that's a very, uh, very important uh, benefit of co-design. This close collaboration allows us to bring those uh, research outcomes and benefits directly to the community that is aiming to serve. We
0: end every episode of the podcast with a recurring segment where I ask each guest the same question What does home mean to you? So, Mark, what does home mean to you?
1: To me, it means a secure, safe space to spend time with family and friends surrounded by the things that I love.
0: Excellent. And, Sue, what does home mean to you?
2: Home to me means security, safety and warmth, a place to be with my family. I often think of it now as being somewhere to go at the end of my working day after hearing our client's stories. And especially when the weather turns cold, I'm thankful I have a warm home to go to. Thank you, Sue. And finally, Esther, what does
3: home mean to you? Uh, Home for me is a place where loved ones are safe and they are comfortable to be themselves. Thank you all.
0: That brings us to the end of this episode. We would like to thank our guests, Mark, Sue and Esther, for joining us and sharing their thoughts. For more information about our work, please visit meaningofhome.uk, follow us on X formerly Twitter, at MeaningOfHomeLU. Remember to follow and share our podcast. And, of course, thank you all for listening to The Meaning of Home. This podcast was created by The Home CDT. It was hosted by Sarah Christou, produced and edited by Dave Angel, and the music is by the Angel Brothers. All ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the individual. The Meaning of Home is brought to you by doctoral researchers at Loughborough University.